welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Hi, everybody. I'm Kirk. <laughs> well, we know where they're coming from. Hey, uh, for, for 30 years, I was a pastor. And for, okay, Alan and I have been trying to figure this out. Four years, five years now. I've been, re- been retired. And, uh, and we, yeah, we know where they're coming from. And, and we, and this, we've found Oak Hills to be our church home. And we, we're nine o'clock people. We usually sit right over there unless we're feeling wild and frisky. We, uh, we love the worship here. We love, uh, the preaching. Uh, we, we, uh, we love the community at Oak Hills. We've been in a small group for about three years and, uh, that's really helped us feel connected and cared for. And we encourage everybody to get connected like that. So we're, we're, in, we're in week four of a series, Artful Faith. And uh, first week we asked why art, and then uh, why emotion, why story was week three, and today, this week, why beauty? Why beauty? And, uh, and to help us get started, I want you uh, to think of something Beautiful. Okay, what do you see? What comes to mind? Uh, maybe a, a, a beautiful landscape or a, a beautiful painting or a, a bank of uh, an arbor of roses bursting into bloom or uh, this one, a, a dew hanging on a spider web like a thousand pearls in the morning sunlight, uh, a hummingbird uh, sipping nectar from a blue sage, or, or uh, wild horses in full gallop, or here's, uh, here's uh, somebody's dog leaping off the dock chasing a frisbee, uh, our cat napping. I mean, the animal kingdom is beautiful, isn't it? Uh, a sunset of crimson and turquoise spread across the western sky. What did we sing? Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. There's uh, a, a beautiful baby. That's my, that's my son, Matt, holding his newborn son, Maxon. You know, one time he said, I'm never getting married and I'm never having kids. This is beautiful in so many ways. <laughs> Beauty is also something you can hear, like a, like a passage of music. Maybe it's a, a song that makes you happy or, uh, or romantic. And you, you hear those opening piano chords, you know, on the radio. And you reach over and you turn up the volume. You know, two summers ago, uh, uh, Leal and I were at Yosemite. And around midnight, we, we hiked to the base of Yosemite Falls. And, uh, and there, a moonbow appeared in the mist. Wow. It's beautiful. 
And then there's the, the beauty of high fashion. You know, actresses posing in, uh, on the red carpet at the Tonys just a couple weeks ago. But beautiful is also waking up beside the woman you love and her head is nuzzled snoozily against you. Isn't that a wonderful beauty? A beauty can be something you eat. You know, a cherry pie coming out of the oven, the steam and the sweet aroma just filling the kitchen. Or, you know, you, you, uh, you peel an orange and you smell the zest and then, you know, you, the, it's cool, sweet tang fills your mouth. It's beautiful. And then there's the magnificent grace of an athlete. That is beautiful. Sinking a winning three-pointer you know, as the buzzer sounds or, uh, or uh, making a backward-reaching, one-handed, leaping catch and then rolling into the end zone, touchdown. Beautiful. So maybe by now you, you, you have a whole portfolio of images that have come to mind. Really, you know, if you took the time, you could make a list that was pages long. William Wordsworth, he uh, wrote a poem. My heart leaps up when I behold a rainbow in the sky. So was it when my life began. So is it when now I am a man. So be it when I shall grow old or let me die. The child is father of the man. And I could wish my days to be bound each to each. By natural piety. See, my heart leaps up when I see something beautiful. And so does yours. What is that inside of us that sees or hears and you know, responds with, oh, a sense of wonder, of excitement and, and affection. You want to get closer. You want to you tell somebody about it. What is that? It's the experience of beauty. Wordsworth called it a natural piety that he felt as a child. And then the child passes it to the man. And the man, so he hopes, to the old man. Nature stirring something spiritual in us when we see something beautiful. And, and what about God? You know, Think of something beautiful. Did you think of God? St. Augustine called him beauty. So ancient and so new. Older than the ages. New every morning. God. Beauty. Do you see God like that? Because the Bible does. In Psalm 27, we read it. David says he wants to spend his days gazing on the beauty of the Lord. And so hold that thought uh, while we pray. We pray to you, God, the God who is real, who's really there. You are the source and foundation of reality, who, when our soul is, is really paying attention, we see you as infinite beauty. The one who makes everything beautiful, Beautiful. And as we gather this morning here in your house, may we, like King David, behold your exceeding.
exceedingly wonderful beauty. May we see your face and go, oh, and be filled with delight and joy. And as our, as our souls are captured by this vision of you, God, change us. <laughs> Beautify us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were to, if you were to ask one thing of the Lord, okay? One thing, okay? You, you don't get three wishes this morning. You get one what one thing? What would that be? Would it be, for, uh, would it be for happiness or health, uh, security? Would it be for you know, professional or financial success? Uh, would it be for somebody's approval? You know, your, your mom, your dad, your boss. Somebody's affection. Man, I just want them to love me. What would you give your best time and energies to, to pursuing? One thing. Well, here is, here's King David in Psalm 27. One thing I ask from the Lord. One thing I seek. And what is it? It's beauty. The beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze on that. Not, not a quick glance, you know, like when you're going through an art museum and there, there are 500 paintings. You go, uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay, next. <laughs> no, no, a, 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 a long, rapturous stare. What's David even seeing? What is he, what is he seeing? And how do we make that our one thing? And why? I mean, what's it going to do? You know, David is that, that rare combination of warrior king, you know, buff, macho there on the left. But he's also the poet laureate of Israel. You know, that's a rare combination of Dwayne Johnson and Bruce Springsteen in one guy. And Psalm 27 is a poem. It's set to music. David sang it. And there are not many songs that you're still hearing 3,000 years after the the album first dropped. In fact, I can't think of any except David's. This is an amazing, this is an awesome song. And Psalm 27, did you notice? David wrote it in the middle of a really bad day. In the day of trouble. The, 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 he says the... the uh, the wicked advance against me to devour me, like a pack of jackals in verse 2. Okay, that's not good. In verse 3, that an army is besieging me. War is breaking out against me. Oh, that's, that's bad news. Uh, you know, I, I think of a Russian tank busting through your city wall and launching missiles at your schools and your, your hospitals and your churches and your home. That's, that's, that's devastating. That's terrifying. Have you ever had a day like that? Or a whole season of your life? You know, maybe you're sitting in the shell-shattered rubble right now of a discouraging medical condition. Or a, a relationship in ruins. Or a, a deep regret or failure. Or maybe, maybe there's just the churning anxiety you're feeling about the present and the future. 
you know, your kids or your debts or politics or climate change or the nuclear brink, a world coming apart. Uh, false witnesses have risen up against me, spouting lies. You know, David King, he gets that all day long. You know, that's, or, you know, when you're king or president. Uh, Though my, my father and mother forsake me. Man, does it get any worse than that? The day of trouble. But then in verse 4, there's this surprising explosion. In, it's an intrusion of beauty. Like a, like a rainbow arching against the vault all the way across the wide vault of heaven. But it comes in the midst of this, this terrible storm. You know, war breaking out, enemies trying to destroy you, mom and dad slamming the door, can't go home, vicious lies. And David goes, whoa, but look at this. Gaze on this. And it changes everything. Who, you know, whom shall I fear? He says. Uh, and and, and uh, I, verse, uh, verse 3, my fear is gone. There's a confidence. He's, he's, verse 5, he's standing on a rock. Verse 6, his head is lifted up and, and he's, got a, he's shouting like he just scored the winning points and the team is carrying him off the field and he's picking up his guitar and he's, he's singing. And it's a song of joy. What happened? Ernest Becker, do you, do you know that name? The, the, he's the social psychologist. Uh, so influential in the 1970s and after. Becker wrote The Denial of Death and Escape from Evil. He wrote this. Taking life seriously means that whatever you do, you must do in the lived truth of the evil and terror of life. And the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it's phony. I don't know. if you, I, I, don't, I suspect few of us feel that. And Becker would say, that's because Western culture and American affluence, they, they cocoon most of us from the reality of suffering and poverty and injustice and misery and death. We're cocooned. We have so many ways that we, we distract and entertain ourselves, medicate and anesthetize ourselves against the brokenness and wickedness in the world and in our own hearts. See, Becker would challenge us that the, our, our happiness may be artificial and phony. You're not living authentically unless you understand. This is the real context of human life. Terror. And evil. And the rumble of panic underneath everything. And, and David would say, yes, that, that's exactly what I'm going through. You read uh, uh, his story in First and Second Samuel. He ain't lying. The most beloved king, the most admired king in the history of Israel. A man after God's heart, God says. David had few moments of real shalom when his body and soul weren't in peril. His kingdom, his friendships, his family, you know, his, his well-being so often were messed up. And Psalm, Psalm 27 is a, is a pretty good 
description of the whole gamut of human suffering and trouble. And if David is, okay, if David's a 10 on the scale, okay, maybe you're not a 10, maybe, but maybe you feel a, a, a 4 or a 5 somewhere, maybe a 7 or 8. When you think of your life and the world we live in, and how, do, how does David cope? Is there a remedy for the stress and the distress that he's experiencing? And is it available to us in our day of trouble? And yes, here it is. Here it is. One thing I ask from the Lord. So he's praying for this. I'm asking for this. And it's the most important thing. This only do I seek. And he's seeking it. He's going looking for it. Okay, He's intentionally pursuing this. No other priority is higher. And and it's not a cop-out. It's not an escape. It's not a drug to mask the pain. This is the real, authentic remedy when your enemies and your troubles are surrounding you. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, what David calls the temple, the tabernacle, the sacred tent. Why? Because... That's where he experiences the presence of God. It's the royal dwelling of God, the king. That's that's where David wants to be. I want to be where God is. God promised to be there. I I just want to be there all the days of my life, if I could be there. And gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Because he's altogether lovely. Altogether wonderful. And you know, that's exactly what, that's what beauty does. Doesn't it? It soothes. It calms. The experience of beauty does something to our soul. It, it gives us a sense of well-being. However temporary, however partial. A sense of shalom. And the the delight and the pleasure that we feel speak powerfully to our soul. Sometimes in a whisper and sometimes in a shout. And it it reminds us first of the goodness of the world. That sin and evil cannot completely destroy or suppress. The goodness of the world. And then second, beauty speaks of the goodness of God. Who's infinitely beautiful. And, who, and the God who infuses his creation with beauty that we see and hear and taste and, and touch. And it delights us. And you know, this all beautiful, almighty God has promised to reclaim his broken and corrupt world. To redeem and restore it to a beautiful new creation. At the consummation of history. And you know that, that's what beauty says to our soul. It tells that story. It dreams that dream. It sings that song. Every experience of beauty is a hint of that. God's goodness now in the land of the living. And God's promise of a future when the whole earth is set right. And his beauty is restored. And so he says, wait for the Lord, because it's coming. Be strong, take courage. Just wait for the Lord. 
See, every experience of beauty is a hint of that. And so it lifts us, it calms us, it, it refreshes and restores us. I mean, we want to find somebody and share it. Listen to this, look at this. And it connects us to one another. It, it, it gets, us, gets me out of me and my self-focus. And we see reality as something bigger and more beautiful. That's a very big deal. See, that's, that's what beauty does. That's why beauty matters. And that's why we, we need to take time to enjoy beauty, to gaze on it, to savor it. When we do, it makes us healthy. It delights us. It ennobles. It, it kindles hope. The Lord is my light. You know, it turns the lights on when we're in a dark place. It puts our life into perspective. It, it makes us better human beings. Human beings who are made in the image of a beautiful God. We were made to appreciate and cultivate beauty. Uh, Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is Noble, whatever is beautiful, think on these things. Gaze. And the God of peace will be with you. You'll experience a shalom. So take time for beauty because it matters. You know, it's not something peripheral. And guys, I'm talking to you, okay? It's not something nice but sort of extra, you know, like whipped cream so we can pass. No, it's, it's a big deal. So we take time for it. We, we go after it. Whatever is beautiful. Okay, think, think of the list that we made earlier. Okay, we're, now we're, so we're going to sit on our porch and watch the sun go down. We're going to get some flowers and put them in a vase where we can look at them. We're going to plan a, plan a trip to the crocker. We're going to save up for a meal at a really good restaurant. We're, we're going to put on headphones. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to listen to Mozart. And Tchaikovsky. When a love song, you know, on our playlist comes on, wise men say, we're going to catch our beloved up and an embrace, and we're going to slow dance with her because I can't help. Do you get it? We cultivate beauty. And so we drive or we hike to a waterfall or a meadow or a mountain range to some vista point where we can, where that makes us go, oh. We go somewhere to a garden or a park or the, you know, the the poppy and lupin fields up in uh, uh, Table Mountain where we can see creation in glorious bloom. Jesus said, behold the the lilies of the field. He said, I tell you, King Solomon in all his glory was never arrayed like one of these. See that? Jesus said, go, gaze, those flowers, that beauty has something to say to your soul. She speaks. Beauty matters. Beauty lifts our soul, if we let it, lifts, lifts our eyes of our soul high enough that we can see. See, God, see that, that's what Mel's painting is about today. See, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And Visio Divina helps us see that beauty. 
In fact, if we only fix our eyes on the beauty of things, beauty can corrupt and mislead us. The good things of, of life can become an addiction or an idol or a snare. Beauty was the, the archetypal temptation that plunged the world into ruin. Remember, what, what did the Bible say? When Eve gazed on that fruit, she saw it was good for food. Wow, this, this is going to taste good. And it, it was a delight to the eyes. This is beautiful. And it was desirous to make one wise. It's truth. Those are the three transcendentals. You know, truth, goodness, beauty. But now the serpent is defining those things, not God. He disconnects them from God who's their source. You know, like we can decide what's good and true and beautiful for ourselves. And, and we, we cut ourselves loose, loose from God and, and now we're in free fall. Okay? And we're fixating on and worshiping the beauty in creation instead of the beauty of, of the creator. And that's when beauty becomes an idol. Or a snare. You know, the apostle Paul wrote, everything created by God is good. And nothing's to be rejected. There were religious people in churches saying, hey, hey, if you love God, you shouldn't eat these foods. And you, you probably shouldn't have sex with your wife. Because if it tastes good or it feels good, it's probably bad. And Paul says, what? no, no. Everything created by God is good. Just receive these things with thanksgiving. And that's our second takeaway. Make it a habit to experience beauty as a gift. So we don't own it. We can't keep it or hold on to it. We can see it. We can hear it. We, we can taste it. We can feel it. But, whoa, now it's gone. It moves on. You know, the... the the, the beautiful sunset turns to darkness. The flowers wilt and the petals fall off. That fabulous dinner went from there to there. And tomorrow I'm hungry again. And that, that gorgeous athlete gets old and flabby. That puppy you, you, you brought home so fun and furry and full of fun uh, 15 years ago. Now you're putting her down. See, life moves on. And those countless moments of beauty, they were gifts. And they were temporary. But when they come, that's when we, we say to God, hey, thanks. That was awesome. That was so good. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. See how we, we lift our eyes from the, the beautiful things to the beautiful one. Okay, so now let me ask you. In Psalm 27, what does David see when, when he sees the beauty of God? Because, you know, the, God doesn't have a human or an animal form like the gods of Egypt and Babylon. There's no visual you can say, oh, there's God and yet God says, seek my face. <laughs> what? I mean, what does that mean? You know, in the, in the Hebrew language, the, the word before 
in front of, literally, is pani, in my face, to my face. Because if it's in my face, it's in, it's in front of me, right? It's in, it's in my presence. And that's, that's, what, that's what the Hebrew is expressing. Uh, they came into the king's presence. In Hebrew, it would be, they came to his face, pani. So what David is describing here in, in verse 4, the beauty of the Lord in verse 8, your face is an experience of the presence of God. And it's personal and intimate and affectionate and delightful. It's beautiful. In, uh, in, in Psalm 16, another song David wrote, he says, he says, uh, you, where is it? You made known to me the path of life. In your presence, right? There is, face to face with God. There's fullness of joy in your right hand. See, this is the beauty of God. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So no wonder his heart is so keen to experience God's presence. It's the one thing he wants more than anything. To be in your presence, to experience in my heart and soul your goodness, your affection, your care. To think about the awesome power that calls something out of nothing, makes oceans and mountains and and carves a footpath through the sea and and slays giants with little rocks and and resurrects the dead. All wise, all-powerful, infinitely merciful, You open your hand, pleasures forevermore. See, the beauty of God is not one thing, one attribute. It's it's the splendor of all of those attributes taken together, like like the sparkling rainbow facets of of a beautiful jewel. And see, when you experience God like that, it's delightful. I want to experience God like that. How about you? Not, it's not the experience of God's holiness, okay, that Isaiah experiences in chapters Isaiah 6. He says, woe is me, I'm ruined. It wrecks him because he knows how unholy he is. And it's not the experience of God's glory. Moses says, I want to see your glory. And God says, no, that would, well, that would incinerate you. <laughs> so he just gets the merest glimpse. No, it's an experience David wants a categorically different experience. It's of the beauty of God. The beauty of God. And the Hebrew word here is noam. It means attractive, desirable, delightful, pleasurable, satisfying. David David says, I'm drawn to God. I, I want to get near him. God is pulling me to himself. There's a longing and hunger in my soul for God. And oh, when I'm in his presence, oh, it's, it is so good. It's better than ice cream. It's better than sex. It's better than a vacation on a white sand beach against a turquoise water. It's better than all those things is the pleasure of experiencing God, who is the best and the most beautiful. Well, does that describe your experience of God? If you, could, if you could ask for one thing, pursue one thing. 
You know, religious people, they go to church, they pray, they go after God because it's a duty or it's an obligation. They think it's probably good for me like spinach or broccoli. Working out at the gym. They're hoping God's keeping track. See, that's a religious person. See, David is, David's one thing is categorically different because he's a converted person. His heart is being transformed and regenerated. He goes after God because of God. Because the experience of God is a delight. There's no pleasure like it. It's like, it's like uh, sitting down at a banquet table that David has waited all day, all week maybe, to tuck into. And when he's feasted and it's over, he's not disappointed, he's not ashamed or hungry. He's satisfied. And you know, it's, it's, it's no coincidence that David gets the best and clearest experience of this, of this beauty. The same place we do. In the house of the Lord. It's where God's people gather for worship. To proclaim the greatness and goodness of God and to celebrate his salvation. Here especially, the beauty of the Lord. We experience it and it gives us joy. It gives us shalom. It refreshes and restores. Just like the Sabbath was meant to. It calms. It resets. It satisfies. That is the power of the beauty of God. And that's why I don't, I don't want to miss being in church on Sunday. You know, Mike can't say that or it sounds like a commercial, but I can. And, and, I, and, uh, and I don't want to stand here either like, you know, like a senseless bump while the worship team is singing about salvation and joy. Like I haven't just been saved from hell and ruin by a glorious savior named Jesus. You know, the Bible says in Jesus, the word became flesh and it tabernacled among us. That's how Jesus makes his entrance in the gospel of John. The eternal logos, which is with God and is God, becomes flesh and it pitches its tent. It tabernacles in our campsite. There was this Old Testament tent called the tabernacle where God's presence dwelt. But now God, the eternal son, has become a human being. And the dwelling place of God, okay, the sacred place where we go to meet God now is a person. Name Jesus. And if you want to see God, okay, if you want to see God in his glory, God in his holiness, God in his, oh my God, beauty. There it is. Look at Jesus. His whole life, okay, from cradle to cross, but especially at the cross. Because there is, there is nothing more beautiful than sacrificial love. Nothing more beautiful than love that spends everything to rescue and redeem and restore what it loves. Love so amazing, so divine. On the cross, see, a hundred billion failures disappear. 
And Christ takes our ugliness and our corruption and curse and ruin on himself. And in the mystery of atonement, his righteousness and his beauty comes to us. The Bible says when you were baptized, and this is a good reason to get baptized, by the way. Paul says you were clothed in Christ. It's like putting on new clothes. And guess what? You look marvelous. You're beautiful. And the Holy Spirit is, he's beautifying us, Christians. As we pray, as we do our Bible study, as we koinonia together, as we worship, as the word of God is preached and we receive it. Those are all ways that we gaze on the beauty of God and and. Scripture says, as we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, we're being transformed into his image from glory to glory. That's the last takeaway. Let's seek the Lord, friends, Christians, like David, finding pleasure and joy in his presence. Like a hungry man coming to a banquet like a woman in love embracing her beloved. Oh God, please may our experience of you be like that. So let's pray. And let's, hey, as we pray, let's keep our eyes open, okay? And let's let the words and the music and the motions as Ashley performs this worship song, let this be our closing prayer.